Well, let me invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. John 12, for those of you that are visiting with us, we're doing a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. And as we continue in our study this morning, we come to John 12, verse 44. And my goal uh, this morning is to cover verses 44 through 50. And with that, we will finish... Uh, John chapter 12, and the title of the message this morning is Closing Words from Jesus. Closing Words from Jesus. Douglas MacArthur uh, is a name that is probably uh, familiar to many of you. He was a general in the United States Army uh, who served as the supreme commander of the Allied forces in the Pacific during World War II. After the war was concluded, he remained in Asia, and in June of 1950, uh, Douglas MacArthur was appointed the Supreme Commander of the United Nations Forces Fighting Against uh, forces, the Forces of North Korea. During that military engagement, as some of you know, Douglas MacArthur disagreed with President Truman about how to proceed in that conflict, and he was very open uh, in his disagreement, and so President Truman fired him. And his firing of MacArthur was so unpopular with the American public that it dropped Truman's approval rating down to 22%, which is the lowest approval rating of any American president since polls were conducted. Nine days after he was fired, Douglas MacArthur delivered an address before a joint session of Congress. And at the end of his speech, he looked back over his 50 years in the army and he said these words, and I quote, the world has turned over many times since I took the oath at West Point. And the hopes and dreams have long since vanished. But I still remember the refrain of one of the most popular barrack ballads of that day, which proclaimed most proudly that old soldiers never die. They just fade away. And like the old soldier of that ballad, I now close my military career and just fade away. An old soldier who tried to do his duty as God gave him the light to see that duty, goodbye. And with those words, Douglas MacArthur closed his illustrious military career. I begin on this note this morning because in our passage today, we're going to find Jesus delivering his own farewell address of sorts in which He is going to be closing out his public ministry ministry. The verses that we're going to look at today literally contain the final recorded words of Jesus in his public ministry. And it may surprise you a little bit to hear that, given the fact that we're only in John chapter 12 and we have nine more chapters of this gospel to go. But remember that Chapters 13 through 17 contain the record of things that Jesus said and did in a private setting 
with his disciples as he prepares them for what is to come. Then chapter 18 will tell us of his arrest and trial, and John 19 will give us the account of his crucifixion. So basically what we have here at the end of John chapter 12 are the last recorded words of Jesus' public ministry, the most prolific public ministry of any man in the history of the world. In a ministry that I think is worth a little bit of review this morning. Jesus' public ministry began in chapter 1 with John the Baptist pointing to him and saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His ministry has featured a number of miracles that John has recorded for us. The miracle of turning water into wine at a wedding in Cana in John 2, healing the nobleman's son in chapter 4, healing a man who had been lame for 38 years in chapter 5, feeding the 5,000 and walking on water in chapter 6, healing a man born blind in chapter 9, and raising Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11. And then there are other signs that John says Jesus performed that John does not specify or identify for us. Jesus throughout his ministry has taught many truths and made many amazing, audacious truth claims about himself, telling Nicodemus in chapter three that just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up so that all who look to him and believe in him might be saved. In chapter 6, Jesus was in Galilee, and he said to people, I am the bread of life. He who eats of this bread shall live forever and never die. In chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. In chapter 10, Jesus teaches the people of Jerusalem that he is the good shepherd and he informs his audience that a good shepherd like him lays down his life for his sheep and keeps them forever. In chapter 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. At every stage of Jesus' ministry, with the miracles that he performed and the words that he spoke, we see some people believing in him and others not believing in him. We also see the religious leaders becoming more and more enraged and hostile against him, leaving them firmly committed to arresting Jesus and having him killed at the very first opportunity that they can find. In chapter 12, we see Jesus showing up in Jerusalem for the week of the fateful Passover in which he was to be crucified. After Mary anointed him with oil, we saw how a large crowd comes out of the city of Jerusalem to see Jesus and to welcome him as the Messiah into Jerusalem. And this moment of triumphal welcome into Jerusalem seems to be the highest point of Jesus' 
public ministry with him being hailed as the Messiah as he comes into the capital city of Israel riding on a donkey. It was after this triumphal welcome that some Greeks came to Philip and said, we wish to see Jesus. In response to their request, Jesus presents a sight of himself for all who wish to see him truly. And that sight of himself is that he is the son of man who will be glorified by being lifted up upon a cross so that through his death, he can overthrow Satan's rule and draw all men to himself in a saving way. Well, the crowd of people listening to Jesus don't like what they're hearing at all. They loved hearing him talk about being glorified, but they didn't like this talk about a seed falling into the ground and dying and of him being lifted up in death upon a cross. So they voice their protest to Jesus. And essentially they say, what kind of son of man are you to be talking this way? And Jesus replies in verse 35 and 36. Look at the text where we read the following words. Verse 35. So Jesus said to them, and then what he's going to say next is a part of his farewell address to them. For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Then observe what John says toward the end of verse 36. These things Jesus spoke and he went away. And hid himself from them. John then says a few more things that we looked at two weeks ago to give us perspective on those who were listening to Jesus and how they were responding to him in this moment. But then comes our text for today. And John tells us, you know, after John tells us that Jesus went away and hid himself, it's interesting, John is now going to give us some additional words that. Jesus speaks in verses 44 through 50. As for when Jesus spoke these final words, there are commentators who suggest that Jesus must have come out of hiding at some later point and spoken these words on a separate and later occasion. That's possible, but I would agree with commentators who suggest that John is simply backtracking here. And letting us know some other things that Jesus said before he went away from this final audience and hid himself from them. Either way, the words of our text today constitute the final recorded words that Jesus spoke at the very end of what we would classify as his public ministry. And the way we'll break down our study of this passage is we'll observe Four declarations, as you see on your notes, four declarations that Jesus makes in this final speech of his public ministry. Declaration number one, fill in the blank. To see me and believe in me is to see and believe in the Father. To see me and believe in me is to see and believe in the Father. 
Observe what Jesus does in verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. By the way, notice that Jesus doesn't merely speak what he's saying here. John says he cried out the words that he is speaking. In other words, he's speaking these words with tremendous passion and earnestness and love for his listeners. He's exclaiming these words so that as many people as possible can hear them. And the first thing he cries out are the words, he who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. Who's that? The father, right? Back in verse 36, Jesus called upon his audience to believe in the light. In other words, to believe in him as the light of the world that he is. And here he is assuring his audience that anyone who obeys that command and believes in him is actually believing in the father who sent him. What Jesus is saying here is for the benefit of both those who were believing in him and for those who were not. Jesus wants to assure those believing in him that their belief in him is a demonstration of the fact that they are rightly believing in the God of the Old Testament, that they are rightly believing in the Father. At the other end of the spectrum, Jesus is letting those who do not believe in him know that a person cannot believe in God the Father and yet disbelieve in Jesus at the same time. That's impossible. Anyone who believes in the Father will believe in Jesus. And anyone who believes in Jesus is de facto believing in the Father. In fact, the only path to believing in the Father is to believe in Jesus whom the Father sent. Why can Jesus make such a statement? Well, look what he says in verse 45. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. And Jesus can say this because he is a perfect reflection of the character and the heart of God the Father. So to see anything at all about Jesus is to get a true glimpse of the Father who sent him, right? Every physical healing that Jesus performed was a revelation of the heart of the Father who sent him, revealing the Father's concern for the physical welfare of people. When Jesus pronounced the sins of the paralytic forgiven, he was revealing the heart of the Father who delights to forgive sinners. When Jesus told the adulterous woman to go and sin no more, he was revealing the Father's posture against sin. Whenever Jesus spoke truth about believing in him and about how he would die and be raised from the dead for the salvation of sinners, he was revealing the heart of the father who sent him to die and be raised to bring salvation to sinners. In everything Jesus said and in everything that Jesus did, 
He was revealing the Father, making it such that to see Jesus at any given moment was to see the Father. You will notice in verses 44 and 45 that Jesus twice speaks of the one who sent him, which raises the question of why this one has sent him. And this is a question that Jesus answers in the following verse. And this brings us to the second declaration that Jesus utters in this final recorded speech of his public ministry. Number two, we can word it this way. I have come as light into the world so that believers in me will not be in darkness. I have come as light into the world so that believers in me will not actually say will not remain in darkness so that they will not remain in darkness. Observe what Jesus says in verse 46 as he continues crying out these words. He says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. When Jesus says, I have come into the world, he's saying more than just that he was born into the world like everyone else has been. He's implying that he preexisted in heaven and then came from heaven into the world. And this is something he has stated a number of times in this gospel. But then he says here in verse 46, I have come as light into the world. For this purpose, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. And Jesus is not just speaking of some general darkness here. The literal Greek has him speaking of the darkness. So that everyone who believes in me will not remain in the darkness is what he's saying. So this is a very particular darkness that the world is in the grip of, as the commentator Linsky says, and I quote, this darkness is not merely the absence of light, but the evil power of ignorance, error, falsehood, and deadly deception. To remain in the darkness is to lie helpless under this deadly power. Some of us, are afraid of the dark and the darkness that we should be most afraid of is this darkness, right? That Jesus is speaking of here, a darkness where we are vulnerable to the worst deceptions and don't even realize that it is deceptions that we are falling prey to. In fact, these deceptions, when we're in the darkness from without and from within, can deceive people into thinking that their ways are so right. But in the end, they're actually the ways of death. Our capacity for self-deception is profound, and that is the darkness. I was reading this week about a Christian counselor who ended up committing adultery with one of his female counselees. Both he and she ended up leaving their spouses and getting married, leaving two devastated families in their wake. Months later, 
This man who had committed adultery was at the home of the author of the book that I was reading. And this man said to this author and her husband, quote, I know that I should be sorry for all of this and that I should repent, but I can't. I'm glad I did this and I would do it all over again. That's the blindness and the darkness that we should be very afraid of. That's the darkness we would all be in were it not for the merciful intervention of Jesus. Amen. And I'm happy to share with you that two years later, Jesus did intervene in this man's life and did rescue him from his blindness and bring him into a deep and genuine repentance. That's the grace of Jesus to pull people out of darkness. Jesus is saying here in verse 46, I came as light into the world so that everyone who believes and literally everyone who's continuously believing in me will not remain in this darkness. His words imply that every person outside of Christ is already in the darkness, a darkness from which they cannot escape unless they look to him and believe in him and accept his rescue. According to Jesus' words here, the only way to avoid being trapped in the darkness of this world is to believe in him. But if you do believe in him, he will be the light that illumines your path and enlightens you. In fact, Jesus taught us just a few verses prior that if you believe in him, you will actually become a child of light. Meaning there won't just be light around you, as it were, but inside of you and exuding forth from you. And you will find yourself able to walk in his light and actually begin the process of learning to see clearly and know where you are going and learn to reflect his light to others. And that's a journey that all of us are on. And it's something we should all want. There is tremendous good that comes to those who believe in Jesus. But what about those who do not believe in him? Well, the outcome for them is very different. In the first place, based on what Jesus has just said in verse 46, we can infer that the person who refuses to believe in Jesus is going to remain in the darkness. But there is more. And this brings us to the third declaration that Jesus makes in this final recorded speech of his public ministry. Number three, the words I have spoken will judge those who reject me. The words that I have spoken will judge those who reject me. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 47. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He completes his thought in the next verse, but let's, let's stop right here for a moment. Jesus here is holding everyone responsible for what they have done with every word that they have heard Jesus speak. 
According to his language here, everyone has this responsibility when it comes to his word, and that is to keep his word. In other words, to believe that his words are true and to treasure them as of greatest value. To keep his sayings is to view his sayings as both true and valuable enough to be worth guarding so that one does not reject them or let go of them or lose them or allow them to fall from view. Obviously, a person who views Jesus' sayings as false and evil would choose not to keep his words in their heart. But it's also possible that a person might profess Jesus' words are true, but they just fail to treasure them as valuable like they should. For example, none of us would think there's anything wrong with a penny, right? Or deny that a penny is a genuine penny. But none of us would guard a penny like we would a $100 bill, right? If I discover that I lost a $100 bill, that would really bother me. But if I discover that I've lost a penny, that wouldn't ruin my day. And I don't think it would yours either. And it's not that I have anything against pennies. It's just that I don't see a penny as being valuable enough to guard like I would a $100 bill or fret over losing like I would losing a $100 bill. And there are people like this with Jesus' words and his teaching. They might view his teachings as true, but they view his word like they would a penny compared to the value of what other people say. They occupy their minds with many other things that they view as way more valuable than the words of Jesus when they ought to be viewing Jesus' words as the truest and the most valuable words that have ever been spoken. In verse 47, Jesus says, If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He's saying, this has been my heart motive in all that I have said throughout my public ministry to bring salvation to others. I didn't come into the world to judge the world. The world was already under judgment before I arrived. I came to save the world from the judgment of God that the world is already under. Again, he says, if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. And when you see Jesus making statements like, I do not judge him, uh, don't take him to be saying that he's not going to be involved in the judgment of such a person. Understand Jesus to be saying that it won't be merely he who is judging. That's the point. This is kind of how Jesus talks at times in very abrupt, black and white, all or nothing kind of language when he expects us to understand that there's some nuance to what he's conveying. For example, if you go back up to verse 44, 
Jesus says, he who believes in me does not believe in me. How's that? Put that on a t-shirt. He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. So think about that. Is Jesus really saying that if you believe in him, you're not believing in him at all, but only in the father? No, what he's saying is he who believes in me does not merely believe in me, but also in him who sent me. And that's the spirit of what he's saying here in verse 47. We can paraphrase what Jesus is saying in this way. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, it is not merely I who judges him. And now he completes his thought in verse 48 saying, he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. And here's what that is. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. Jesus is saying it is not merely I who will judge those who reject me in the last day. It is my word that will judge them. It is my word that will serve as an accusing witness of such persons in the last day when they stand before me at the judgment. Everything that such persons who have rejected me, everything that they heard me say that they disregarded in this life will be brought before them as an accusing witness on judgment day. This is a sobering warning for all of us to consider. The word that unbelievers hear, that rejectors of Christ hear in this life and cast aside, all those words will be sitting there waiting for them on judgment day, pointing an accusing finger at them in the last day, which is the day of resurrection, the day when those who rejected Christ will be resurrected to eternal damnation. What an awful moment that will be for those who reject Christ. In the end, the word of Jesus will determine everyone's destiny. Those who believed and received Jesus' word will be saved by his word. And those who rejected Jesus' word will be condemned by the very words of Jesus that they rejected. Which will it be for you? As for the words that Jesus speaks, there is a reason that he can freely say that his words will serve as people's judge on judgment day. And this brings us to the final declaration that Jesus utters in this final recorded speech of his public ministry. Let's word it this way. Declaration number four, Jesus says, I have perfectly spoken everything the father commanded me to speak. I have perfectly spoken everything the father commanded me 
to speak. This is a staggering thing that Jesus says here. Observe what he says in verse 49. He looks back on all that he has said throughout the entirety of his public ministry. Every conversation, private conversation, every teaching that he ever delivered. And he says, look at this, verse 49, for I did not speak on my own initiative or of myself, but the father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. This is why Jesus' words will judge those who rejected his words, because Jesus' words came from the father who gave Jesus the words to say and then gave him direction regarding, look at the text of verse 49, what to say and what to speak. It might seem redundant for you to hear Jesus at the end of verse 49 speak about how the Father has given him commandment as to what to say and what to speak. But there are commentators who point out that these two verbs each have different nuances and that when you put the two of them together, they represent both the content of what Jesus said in his public ministry and the manner in which he said what he said in his public ministry. Understood in this way, Jesus is saying here that the Father has given him commandment regarding what he is supposed to speak and the manner in which he delivered the content of what he was supposed to tell us from the Father. And Jesus is saying that on both counts, he has executed the Father's will perfectly. This is a staggering claim from Jesus that no other person can make with honesty, right? I will admit to you that there have been times in my life when I have beautifully communicated something false. In fact, I remember a time in college when I preached a sermon in my homiletics class and the professor gave me a lower grade than I was hoping for. And on his evaluation sheet, he wrote these words to explain why. Listen to what he said. Your delivery was really good, but the entire point of your sermon was wrong. At the opposite extreme, there have been other occasions when I found myself doing a poor job of communicating something true. And good. And we all know that frustration, right? Sometimes I'm in a conversation with someone and I'm trying to express some truth and I'm struggling to do that. And I'll end by saying I'm only 70% happy with the way that just came out. And my hope in saying that is to persuade the person not to reject the truth of what I have just communicated simply because I said it poorly. I think we can all identify with that. But in contrast to 
me, in contrast to you and me, Jesus is looking back over the previous three years of his prolific public ministry. And he is saying here that the father has been directing him both in the content of what he has spoken and in his actual manner of speaking that content which means that Jesus is claiming here that everything he has said and every manner in which he has said it has been absolutely flawless throughout the entirety of his public ministry. And I can't even say that about a five-minute stretch of one sermon. And Jesus says this about the full length of his public ministry. At the end of his military Career, the best that Douglas MacArthur could say is that he tried to do his duty as God gave him the light to see that duty. But Jesus is saying here, he actually did his duty perfectly, speaking everything the Father commanded him to say, saying exactly the way that the Father wanted him to say it. Listen to what he says in verse 50. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the father has told me. The commandment that Jesus is talking about here is not just the commandment of the father to receive eternal life, but even the commandment of the father to Jesus to speak everything that he has said, which are the words of eternal life that bring eternal life into the possession of those who receive his words and believe in Jesus. So in verse 50, Jesus says, therefore, because I know that the father's commandments, that his commandment is eternal life, the things I speak, I speak just as the father has told me. Jesus is saying what he's saying here for the benefit of his followers and for the benefit of his foes. For those who are impressed with Jesus' teaching and think that his teaching is the most amazing thing that they have ever heard, Jesus wants them to know that all he has been doing is passing along what the Father has been giving him to say. Every sermon that he preached, he says, I got that from the Father. Every private conversation in which Jesus delivered wisdom and counsel. He's saying here, I got that from my father who sent me. And Jesus is wanting his followers who love his words to know what he's saying here so that they will know how amazing and how wonderful his father is from whom he got every word that he spoke. As for his enemies who think they worship the father, but they reject Jesus and they hate his words. Jesus wants them to know that everything he has said was simply under the direction of the father whom they claim to love and worship. Which means that if they reject Jesus' words, they really don't love the father and they don't really worship the father. Jesus wants them to know that to reject my sayings is to reject my father. Ultimately, Jesus wants his listeners to know that he is not 
some figure of independent, isolated greatness. He is the son of his father who speaks every word that his father has given him to speak exactly the way that his father wanted him to speak those words, even if it makes his hearers angry and makes them want to pick up stones to stone him or makes them want to crucify him. He obeyed his father and said everything his father wanted him to say. Jesus did not get his direction on how to speak from the world around him by listening to what others say and, and then speaking like everyone else is speaking and neither should we. Jesus did not try to get a sense of the direction that the cultural winds were blowing in his day and then try to just go with the flow of those winds and not rock the boat and neither should we. He spoke what his father wanted him to speak. He spoke what his father gave him to speak, even when he knew it would enrage the enemies of God and ultimately get him crucified. And I suspect that you and I will have increasing opportunities to follow Jesus' example and to speak God's truth without compromise. In this day in which we live, a day of increasing hostility to the very words of God. And the purpose of all that God has given Jesus to speak, as he says in these verses, is that it might result in eternal life for those who received his words and keep his sayings and believe in him. Jesus was willing to speak every word the Father gave him so that you and I today would be saved, even knowing that it would cost him, those words would cost him his life. Just in closing, when you look back over all these words of Jesus that we've studied today, you realize that these are actually gracious words for Jesus to speak to an audience of people who were persistently refusing to believe in him. These are merciful words for Jesus to speak to a world that he knows is about to crucify him in maybe about three days, three or four days from now. This is not Jesus speaking these words and then doing some mic drop and then walking off with a swagger. This is the grace and truth of Jesus on display the grace of Jesus, which comes again and again and again, as we have seen throughout these 12 chapters, coming again and again to those who reject him, pleading and calling them to faith in himself, all the way down to the final words of his public ministry. So I ask you this morning, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with the words of Jesus, given all that you have learned from Jesus as you have watched him and listened to him over the last 12 chapters, how will you respond to him? Will you receive his words? Will you keep his sayings? Will you believe in him? 
Will you realize that it is no small mistake to reject his words and refuse to believe in him? Will you realize that it is the height of wickedness to see Jesus as he has been presented in John 1 through 12 and respond by saying, well, he's not worthy of my trust. I don't believe in him and I don't receive what he says. That is the height of wickedness for which a person will be judged if they don't repent. Based on what Jesus has said in these verses, you should believe in him and you should treasure his sayings as the most valuable thing in your life. His word should be as finest gold to you and of greater value than the sayings of anyone else, any other person or philosopher of this age or wise person of this age. And just as importantly, you and I should listen to his voice more than we listen to the voice inside our own head. We should follow his words rather than follow our heart. And some of the words of Jesus that you ought to listen to are when he tells you that he's going to be glorified by dying on a cross for your sins so that he can draw you to himself and save you. When he tells you that greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, just as Jesus has done for you. When he tells you that apart from him, you can do nothing as you ought unless you abide in him. How do you value these words of Jesus? How do I value them? Do you deem them valuable enough to read and ponder and study and apply to your life? Do you consult his words above all others? Is his word the most valuable part of your daily diet? Maybe you're here this morning and you've not been valuing his word, keeping his word as you should. Well, you can start by treasuring his word when he tells you that he laid down his life for that sin of failing to keep his word. You can start by treasuring his word when he tells you that he would like to be the lamb who takes away your sin. You can start by keeping and treasuring his words of love and grace and forgiveness for your every failure and sin. If you believe in him. And then you can allow the grace of his words to melt your heart into deeper levels of loving obedience to him. I think it's amazing the way Jesus closes his public ministry here with, without regret. <laughs> He's not tormented by memories of wrong things said or even of right things that were said poorly or said in the wrong tone of voice. Jesus has no regrets. Thus far, he has nailed his ministry in every way, saying and doing everything that his father has commanded him to say and do. General Douglas MacArthur was removed from his command because he was insubordinate to his commander in chief. 
President Harry Truman was later quoted as saying, I fired him because he wouldn't respect the authority of the president. But in our passage today, Jesus is looking back over his public ministry and he's conveying to us that he and his father are in perfect unity. Jesus is saying, I've done everything just as my father commanded down to every word perfectly. I've done everything in perfect subordination to my father's every command so that eternal life might come to those who receive my words and believe in me. My father and I are so tight with each other that I can say to you that to see me, And believe in me is to see and believe in my father. And we know that these are not just idle words from Jesus earlier in this chapter, as we saw a few weeks ago, when Jesus prayed and asked the father to glorify his name in this hour of suffering that is coming upon Jesus at this time, the father responded and spoke from heaven and said, I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. That is complete and total validation from his father. And demonstrates perfect unity between them. In a matter of two or three days from this moment, right here in John 12, Jesus is going to be betrayed and then arrested and then stand trial, and then he's going to find himself before a multitude that is crying out for his crucifixion, a crucifixion that will be brought upon him partly because of the words that he spoke in obedience to his father. And he will be crucified on the cross. But we all know how the story ends, right? The father is going to raise him from the dead and ascend him to his own right hand to the highest position of glory and honor, which is why we all do well to give careful heed to every word that Jesus speaks and why we do well to call upon everyone we know to join us in giving proper heed to the words of Jesus. Let's pray and ask God to help us to do this. Lord, as I ponder this passage and even preach this message, I'm mindful of even how this past week I failed to treasure your words as I ought to have done. And I can think of moments where, in addition to that, where I listened to the condemnings of my heart and the thoughts inside my own head over listening to your words. I pray, Lord, that you would help me and help all of us to be better keepers of your word and that as we do endeavor to keep your word that fundamentally that what we would want to treasure most is your words 
of salvation and forgiveness. that point us to you, Lord Jesus, who suffered and died so that we could have forgiveness for our every failure and sin. Make us keepers of your word. And when we fail, that we come running to you and believing in you for your forgiveness and grace and that we treasure your words of love and grace to us who are unworthy sinners. I pray if there's any here this morning, Lord, that has never believed in you, Lord Jesus, that you would just present yourself to them, lifted up upon a cross, and that you would draw them, that your spirit and that the Father that all three members of the triune Godhead would draw such one to yourself that they might be saved today and experience the joy of having their sins forgiven and being made right with God and be able to walk out of here a hundred pounds lighter than they were when they came in because of your grace. And help us, Lord, to give fitting testimony to the world of the gravitas of your person, Lord Jesus, and that we would represent you and shine your light and convey your words, your gospel words, and call people to join us in treasuring these words of eternal life that have come from you the one who is the resurrection and the life. We just commit ourselves to you, Lord, with these sentiments in our hearts and ask you to unleash the fullness of your good heart upon us and answer this prayer. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,